Hello, you're listening to Just Screen It, Case Studies in Creative Distribution. I am your host, Colin Stryker, and I am not an expert in creative or self-distribution. I'm an independent filmmaker working towards making my first narrative feature, uh, a horror film entitled The Grove. So as I've been contemplating my own eventual distribution strategy, I've become sort of fascinated with the notion of self-distribution, but I've found that it's really hard with all the information that's out there to uh, really get a good idea of how it's worked for people. So I decided to start this podcast to help capture some of the experiences of those who have already been through it, uh, whether successful or otherwise, and from those experiences, help both listeners and myself better understand this really complex, crazy landscape of independent film distribution today. So each week, I'll be bringing on a filmmaker who has self-distributed or used creative or non-traditional methods to distribute their film. Uh, My hope is that future filmmakers can take the knowledge gleaned from this show and use it to make their own decisions on how to best distribute their films. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 11. Today, I'm interviewing Stephanie Davis, a Florida-based micro-budget filmmaker with three feature films and many more shorts under her belt. Stephanie embodies the spirit of micro-budget filmmaking, not just in production, but in distribution as well. She's put her movies out there on streaming platforms with uh, a lot of thought given not just to the quality of the content, but to the prospect of seeing a real return on her investment, both financially and in terms of her ongoing independent career. Stephanie is amazingly open and transparent in this interview. She shares some real numbers on both both budget and revenue, gives some great information on the streaming market, and brings to bear a wealth of practical experience. This is definitely one you won't want to miss. Uh, there's nothing more to say that Stephanie doesn't say better here. So without further ado, I will turn it over to my conversation with Stephanie Davis. All right. Hi, Stephanie. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to see you. Just start out, if you could give us a little bit of your background, your history, kind of how you got into filmmaking, and, and then we'll, we'll talk about your your actual filmmaking experiences with the, with the films that you've distributed. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like a lot of people, you know, I did theater when I was a kid, you know, in school and kind of went up through high school and did drama club every single year. And my last year, I actually got to direct our play for high school, which was really fun. Oh, cool. And then... You go into adult life and, you know, responsibilities, go get your degree, do what you're supposed to do to kind of put arts on hold for a little bit. And then in about 2012, 2013, um, my migraines were getting so bad that I couldn't live in Kansas City anymore. So I moved down to Florida and I kind of had the idea of like, I've been, you know, playing it safe and doing a lot of stuff that I'm supposed to be doing. But what I really want to do is be involved in the arts. And so I got back into acting And after a while here in Florida, all you see is must be comfortable topless, must be comfortable nude, must be comfortable doing full frontal. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. That's not why I'm an actor. And so me and my two best friends, we were like, why aren't we doing our own stuff? And so I had some ideas there for a while and just kind of learned how to put a script together and put a lot of people together who knew way more than me and just started making shorts. Shorts turned into making features and mm-hmm. here we are. <laughs> Sounds like, so you you kind of transitioned away from your theater background into film. If I could ask what motivated you to kind of switch art forms? Oh, uh, I, theater is great. And, and I do, I would love to get right back into theater too, but there's a lot more on camera than there is on stage down here mm-hmm. in Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very commercial type area. And so it just kind of made more sense to kind of pursue film and the theater people, they're very, there's a very tight knit group and it's really competitive. 
mm-hmm. do. So it's like you, you have to really devote like a hundred percent and it's just me. There's nobody else like supplying my income. So it's like, well, we give the camera stuff a try and I really enjoyed the way, the way that filmmaking worked versus on stage, even though I do love stage. Yeah. Cool. So did you take any film classes or anything like that? Or did you just kind of dive in on your own and just, yep. just pick it up on the YouTube. fly? Yeah, exactly. YouTube <laughs> right. and mistakes. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. I I'm no. sort of the, the opposite. I went to film school, spent a lot of money going to film school and, you know, probably wish that maybe I, you know, just kind of dived in and, and yeah. learned, learned the, learned the ropes the real way instead of, although film school gives you like, yeah, it gives you like two, three years to just do nothing else except make movies and accumulate yeah. that. But at least you get to make movies for a while. So yeah. Yeah. This, this kind of is my film school investing yeah. in my production company and creating these films. I have not used any investors yet. It's been just me. So oh, this cool. is technically my film school and my investment portfolio is the way that I kind of view it. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So let's drill down a little bit more. You talked about you made some shorts and then moved to features. So like how many shorts did you make before you kind of decided to dive into features? I don't even know how many shorts we've made. Under um, 10, we, 20, 50. Oh no, definitely more than that. Like <laughs> oh, wow. I, there's okay. probably more than 20 because yeah. we do a lot of like shorter shorts. Um, okay. seen with festivals, it's easier to program them when they're 10 minutes and under. Plus it's a lot it just seems more feasible financially and stuff to kind of make it in shorter bites. And Mm -hmm. so we started making shorts in 2014 and 2015 and we started making features in 2018 Mm -hmm. and now kind of getting back into, I really want to make some more shorts, do some more risky stuff and Mm -hmm. just kind of go with the flow. But really when it comes to shorts, like I can put together a one location, three actor idea put a team together, let's film it. And then I can play around with it and post and kind of learn something new with each, each short that we do. So we've been able to do quite a few. I, I want to say it's yeah. over 20. Cool. Okay. Um, and when you say we, I, I think you mentioned that you started off with some friends. Is this kind of the yes. same group? So you've kind of continued as, as a group working on these, mm-hmm. these films and do you have yes. di- different roles like producer, director, uh, cinematographer, whatever, like how does that get divvied up? Yeah, mostly I'm the one that's mostly behind the camera. I do directing and I do the bulk of the producing because I've learned a lot about um, the camera, the lights, the editing and stuff. And then Lexi Balistrieri and Chelsea Wolf, my two best friends and partners, they've mostly focused on the acting and they've been starting to step more behind the camera, assisting me with the producing and learning more and more. They're wanting to kind of learn a little bit more and and get more into the behind the camera. Whereas I'm now trying to mosey my way back in front of the camera, which is the whole Hmm. reason why we were doing this in the first place. I stopped kind of acting. I want to say like 2016 or so. And and now I'm like, Oh crap, that was the whole reason why I wanted to do it. So now (laughs) I'm like, okay, time to redo the headshots. Let's, let's get back into it and get back in front of the camera. So now the other two are like, okay, well, we want to kind of learn a little bit more of what you do behind the camera. So we're kind of flip-flopping a little bit. Oh, cool. That's, that's great to like be able to kind of move around and and change what you're focused on and explore Mm -hmm. different areas and stuff like that. You know, I mean, film is such a, there's so many different skills and so many different roles to play, so to speak, you know, um, yeah. either cast or crew wise in film. And and it's, it's great, I think, to be able to just to dabble in all of them, explore whatever interests you the most and, and all that kind of thing. So yeah, that's absolutely. Great. 
Yeah. <clears throat> so then take me through like what it was like to finally decide to do a feature film. And, you know, was that a hard decision to make? Or were you just like itching to make one? Like, you know, what was that process like kind of kind of psychologically turning towards the idea of making a feature film? I've been itching for it for a while. We did a short film, an action short film based around a wedding. So we had a wedding dress. We had, I had gotten bridesmaid dresses from Amazon. You know, I'd spent a, a couple thousand dollars just making this short. I'm like, well, I have all this leftover wedding stuff. And I went to Belize for a, a one week vacation. And I said, I'm going to write a feature film while I'm away and base it around all this wedding stuff that I have. So I need to figure out some kind of wedding type thing. And I came up with hot mess and wedding dress where I'm like, well, we have the dress. It was supposed to be bloody. It's not, we got it dry clean. It's like, all right, let's, let's destroy it. Let's, let's make it crazy. I've got two leftover bridesmaid dresses. Cool. Lexi, Chelsea, you guys want to be bridesmaids. And once things kind of started rolling and I kind of figured out what my style was going to be, um, cause I already knew my style as a director, but when it comes to features versus shorts, it's a completely different animal as far as putting things together and yeah. how it works out. So we raised a little bit of money with a crowdfunding campaign from Seed and Spark and the rest came from me working a lot of extra stuff, calling in favors, bringing in, you know, people to do things for favors or for, you know, a, a small rate, but also being like, Hey, after eight hours, I swear to God, you can go home. Like you're good. And, mm -hmm. and just like making sure I'm very respectful of people's time and stuff. Yeah. And it was really difficult, but it was definitely something that after I got it done, I'm like, okay, we can do that. We can do that again. Like we can do something different or we can play around with it, but it was definitely an eye-opening experience and I'm very thankful for it. And I still love it. <laughs> yeah. So you mean after you got that done? So you mean after you completely got the feature done? And yeah. yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. I mean, I think just to put in parentheses here, and this is said in a lot of other ways and a lot of other podcasts and stuff like that, but I, I want to emphasize it too. It's just the, the notion of working within the resources that you have available. Like if you're going to stay on a really low budget and, you know, have kind of hope of recouping your costs or losing, you know, you're putting in your own money, that kind of thing that, you know, you can't really make a half million dollar movie or million dollar movie. You have to work with a much, much lower budget. And so you have to just kind of pick and choose from what you have available. And I think filmmakers who do that really well, you know, there's, it's, it's admirable to be able to do that instead of like biting off these, these big pieces of things that you want to try to do and getting, you know, just hope it's just hopeless to <laughs> make your money yeah. back. So yeah, it's a, it's mm -hmm. a great way to go, I think. So yeah, any, you know, I mean, we'll talk about distribution for sure, as obviously that's the, the focus of this podcast, but just because it's a filmmaker podcast too, any stories from the making of that first movie, Hot Mess in a mm -hmm. Wedding Dress, if I got the title right? Yes. Uh, you know, any any stories you want to share about that that were particularly interesting uh -huh. or cool uh, yeah. or whatever? Yeah. Lightning, lightning literally struck our set twice. Yeah. Um, on the second day, right before the big wine spill. So we had a, we have a, and it's one shot. We have one wedding dress. So there was okay. only one opportunity to spill this wine on this dress oh. for the first time. Wow. And I cried after it got done because it was so beautiful. <laughs> it was so perfect. But after that got done, this is also hurricane season. Don't shoot yeah. movies in <laughs> August in Florida. Yeah. Um, but we shot the scene and then after a little bit, we're starting to set up something else. And I hear like really loud thunder and we hear the rain pouring. And so Jeremy, my gaffer, he's making sure the lights are all good. You know, we're like, okay, well, let's wait for a second. And then he comes inside. He and I look outside to the backyard and we see, and literally lightning hit the backyard. I'm like, oh, oh wow. hey, we're done for the day. Let's Ugh. make it safe and let's go home. And we'll, yeah. I, I had already kind of 
pre-mentally budgeted that anything we didn't get done in the house the second week that we were there, there was a really light day that I we could do pickups and stuff. Oh, cool. uh, but there was a certain sequence we had to do with the dress. And yeah. then on the second to the last day at my producer's apartment where we were shooting outside, we went upstairs to his apartment and we're blocking things out. All of a sudden we hear boom. And then we go outside lightning struck the brick on the side of his building and there's like brick debris everywhere i'm like okay i don't know if this is a good sign or not like (laughs) i don't know if the universe is just like you guys are doing great keep it Uh, or if it's just like well (laughs) it seems like god is trying to tell you something there i you know (laughs) whatever whatever works but uh there was definitely a lot of things i learned from that one and and you do with your first one um the biggest thing was where i allocated my budget it was a twenty two thousand dollar feature and there was definitely a lot of line items that I'm like, why did I do that? Like, Mm. why did I spend so much money on all these subtitles that didn't really make much of a difference in distribution, um, which I learned for going forward, like what subtitles to concentrate on and because I can get really costly. And then you're talking uh, about like captioning. Yeah. Yeah. Rev.com, like doing the the right. captioning and stuff in different languages, you know, it costs three to seven to 11, you know, dollars a minute yeah. for runtime to do some of these. And I didn't need Japanese subtitles. Yeah. I don't know why I did that. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, th- I mean, so when you say 22,000, you're talking about a complete budget, yes. you know, from pre-production all the way through marketing distribution, not just a, yes. a production budget. So yes. what was the approximate production budget? If you don't mind my asking. I want to say it was like, 15, 15 or so like yeah. it, it it wasn't much and we shot it in eight days right right so. okay and so you know basically half your half of the budget over is yeah. about how much you ended up kind of in post yeah. and marketing and stuff like that yeah which seems mm-hmm. pretty reasonable right yeah um so and you said that you did like a crowdfunding campaign is, is that right for that yeah how, how much of that how much of the budget came from that uh, it was the actor's budget. So it was five grand. Oh, oh cool. Okay. Right. So really 10 out of pocket for me for production and then the rest out of pocket for, um, post and for marketing. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, let's talk about then about a kind of the marketing. So, uh, you know, going into making the film, did you have a plan for how you wanted to distribute it? Like what, whether you wanted to hit festivals really hard and try to, you know, get a sales agent, you know, things like that. Or mm-hmm. did you always know that you kind of just wanted to self-distribute? Can you kind of talk about your thoughts? process for that a little bit yeah a lot of my filmmaker friends they do horror films so mm-hmm. me doing a rom-com versus them with horror it's it's an extremely different thing and so we tried the festival route for a bit we played a couple of our local festivals we did win some awards and stuff and we we did have a good feedback we had good feedback we had a good amount of local like really good local stuff but it didn't really go any further than local which is fine mm-hmm. that happens um, there's only so many slots that film festivals have and if a female stoner rom-com wedding thing isn't their thing, then it won't really work for their programming. So then kind of doing more research. And by that time, the stripper had fallen. What's the other one? It begins with a Q. I'm Um, sorry. What, what had fallen? Distriber. Oh, oh, okay. Uh, The aggregator. That's an aggregate, right. Yeah. They, there's, they were extremely predatory, but they had just started crumbling because I was looking into them Mm -hmm. and then I was listening to Alex Ferrari's podcast and stuff and and hearing him saying like, you know, don't do it. It's, it's predatory and people are not getting their money. So it's like, okay, don't want to go that route. 
there was a uh, quiver quiver, quiver is the other right. one yep i paid 150 dollars to quiver to pitch the movie somewhere i mm-hmm. never heard from them hmm. so i'm like cool just ruin you know flushed 150 bucks down the drain and then after that sales agents and stuff like for my type of movie i'm like that they really it's not really that marketable as far as like trying to get it out the traditional way so i said well it's my money that i'm gambling with so let's try vimeo on demand the things that i can control prime Mm -hmm. video direct at that time it was like a penny per hour streamed Mm -hmm. but i put it on prime i put it on vimeo on demand and then i started learning about film hub and so it went through film hub and it's still actually getting put on platforms now and then testing out facebook ads using our crowdfunding campaign as a marketing campaign, a lot of word of mouth. And, you know, we haven't made the money back, but we've made, you know, some of it. And it's definitely one of those down the line as the library starts to get bigger and bigger, mm-hmm. um, people re-explored or they get to see it now. Like when I put out the Christmas ride, then I saw a little spike in hot mess. And then when I put out home for Thanksgiving, same thing, the spike in hot mess and the spike in the Christmas ride. So it's really one of those, like, it's going to eventually make its money back, but it may be like 10 years from now. And I'm okay with that. It's something that I learned and I was the one that did the gambling. So it's not like somebody's hounding me to give me their money back. I I'm learning these lessons and stuff. Yeah, that's great. And I think there's definitely something to be said for the strategy of just kind of keep making movies and, and not, Mm -hmm. not necessarily worry that, you know, your first movie didn't make all of its money back or that kind of thing. Because if you manage to build up a successful career, you'll always be able to generate revenue from those older films. And of course, those older films help you get attention to the newer films as well. You know, having a back catalog of stuff that, you know, it's, it's like, it's never a bad idea to have, you know, more movies under your belt rather than less, I think, to kind of help help market the next movie and so forth. So yeah, that's great. So feel free to decline this question. I'm just curious if you would be interested in sharing kind of how much of that budget you've made on that first film. And obviously we'll talk about your other films too, just kind of going through them sequentially. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm transparent with all of it. So, um, 22 altogether is what we spent. We have five back from crowdfunding and I've gotten about five back from Mm. the aggregators. So it's getting there. It's less than half, but it's definitely, you know, for the past, what what are we in 2023, like four to five years, it made five. So eventually eventually it'll, it'll get back there. So, but it's at least something that like, I still see it's getting views every, every month and it's getting something every month. So at least there's still kind of traffic going to it. Right, right. So is there a sense of, of disappointment at all that it hasn't made more or are you kind of happy with how it's done? It's gotten enough eyeballs that it kind of feels feels good to you, feels right to you. Like what's your sort of emotional reaction to its level of success so far? However you gauge that. Yeah. Because you know, there's different yeah, ways to I measure mean, that, obviously. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Everybody's view of success is different. Uh, financially, yeah. yes. It, it wasn't successful from the get-go. Yeah. But eventually I know that it'll it'll be fine. It's a great marketing tool for me as a director because it it's definitely my my style, my vision and stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm very proud of the story. I'm so proud of my cast and crew. I I still watch it every now and then. Like oh, that's I, great. every now I'll get on Tubi. I'm like, let me get my money. Let's <laughs> let's watch it and get the advertising revenue. But I mean it, it's it's definitely something that kind of introduced who I was as a storyteller. 
which um, to me makes it very successful. And I learned so much from it to make the next one. Mm. And so to me, it's a success, but a lot of people will look at me, they'll see the numbers and they'll be like, wow, you bombed. Like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. And that's okay. I think anybody who's saying that is living outside of the you know low budget indie filmmaker world and doesn't yes. really <laughs> doesn't really understand maybe what really motivates us you know it's and not, that's okay yeah. yeah it's not about money you know uh, it can't be you just can't make mm-hmm. it about money you can't make it yeah. about being like a real business although I am curious did you set it up as a business or was it always set up as sort of a hobby and uh, you you can decline that to answer that question because no, okay. obviously getting I'll into financial stuff but no, no, yeah no. no I'm I'm glad I love I love being transparent in the show but I know that some yeah. people have things they have to guard and I totally respect yeah. that as well so yeah feel free to yeah so bouncy boxer media is my business and then yeah. I do have more than just the filmmaking aspect of it like I I am an editor for hire I'm a videographer for hire things like that so there's different facets of the business to help with the operating costs it is mostly a business, but I'm also aware of what I can and can't take risks on. So right. the more like after hot mess, I learned a lot about mitigating the risk and changing the budgets for, you know, more risky needs to be way less budgeted yeah. and a little less risky. Like a, if I were to do a faith-based film, I would have a higher budget for that because right. that one's a little less risky in these markets. Right. Great. Okay. Yeah. So appreciate the the transparency yeah. and, and honesty about that. That's really helpful. Mm-hmm. So yeah, let's talk about then the next film. I think in total you've made three features. Is that right? Yes. Um, mm-hmm. So you know we'll we'll get to kind of your experience with each <laughs> one, but we'll we'll just kind of moving in time. We'll talk about the second one now, which I think is the Christmas Bride. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that's of, of the three films I've watched. That one. So enjoyed it. Charming. You know, very charming. That's fun. Yeah, kind of a, a cool concept, and yeah, so yeah, so just kind of take us through, you know, where are we in time now when you kind of mm-hmm. are, are moving towards making that film, and then yeah. you know, bring us through the process of making it, getting to the point where you're distributing it. Yeah, so about October of 2019, before the world turned to shit. Oh, can I cuss? Okay, <laughs> sorry, I'm like, oh crap, I forget. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> People do it. Um, yeah. <laughs> about October 2019, uh, I was getting done with what my job was at that point, which was traveling all over the country in a big box truck for big marketing events. Um, and I was like, when I get home, I need to make a movie, and I need to make a Christmas movie because mm-hmm. everybody wants Christmas movies. They're mm-hmm. everywhere. Everybody wants them. I'm like, all right, so if I'm gonna make a Christmas movie, I want to do something different. And so I decided I love the mumblecore type movies, completely Mm -hmm. improvised and fun stuff. So I teamed up with a performer friend of mine and I was telling her, it's like, what if we did a Christmas Uber movie and it's completely improvised? And she's like, Mm -hmm. I love it. Let's do it. Like she had platinum, like platinum blonde, half of her hair. So she was like, well, we can put green in it or Santa hat and we'll just have a good time. Like, perfect. And with that, it's like, this is extremely experimental. So I only spent five grand on that. Hmm. Um, cause it was me, my actors and, and my car and right. that's it. I had all the gear that I needed. I had, we had no script, so I didn't have to be watching lines. I yeah. had a detailed outline and before we shot each of the actors, I would go over their color palette cause I use color psychology and then what their character is going through. And Darian, my lead had no idea what any of the characters were going through and they knew nothing about her character. Oh, interesting. So okay. it was really fun for them to get into the car and I would film the passengers first and then I would film Darian after they played around a little bit, but I mostly wanted to focus on the passengers first. And it really came, became something really interesting because it's not a typical Christmas movie. It's not Hallmarky. 
you know, small, uh, big city girl goes to the small town, meets the love of her life and all that stuff. It's, it's all this stuff that you don't talk about depression, family toxicity, you know, people not being around their families, uh, a lot of kind of heavy topics, some lighthearted ones too, fun Mm -hmm. stuff, you know, getting engaged and going to see grandbabies and stuff, but a lot of topics that we don't talk about and same with like suicide around the holidays. It's very prevalent. And so to bring that to something very individual and experimental was really fun. And uh, we're very proud of it. I still get people commenting or messaging me every holiday saying, this movie really helped me. I really felt seen. Finally, something that's not like Hallmark. Thank you so much. And just to have that, I'm like, well, that makes it successful right then and there. And I have made my mon- my money back on that one. Yeah, that's terrific. Right. And <laughs> and I mean, I, I just to comment on, you know, I think it's a great premise, a great concept. And your comments about, you know, kind of fo- getting, focusing on... <laughs> for lack of a better thing to say, the kind of the darker side of Christmas or, you know, the, yeah. the, you know, not all the, the, the great stories of snow and children playing and opening presents and all that stuff. But yeah, you know, it's, it's a tough time for some people. And I think it's mm-hmm. great to, to kind of bring that out and your, your film definitely did that. So yeah, yeah uh, great. Yeah. So let's talk about then kind of getting that out there, marketing and distribution mm-hmm. wise. And, you know, obviously, anybody who makes a movie and is able to recoup their their costs that's a remarkable story <laughs> and mm-hmm. one that doesn't come up very often so i'd, I'd love to hear more on on how yeah. that went and and yeah well christmas helps <laughs> and yeah, i just yeah. recouped this christmas season so every holiday season and for some reason june july there's a this, spike in the viewership yeah it um, came out when sorry uh it came out december 2020 so okay. after the world is shut down and right. everybody's already feeling a lot of things. And so this came out, Amazon and Vimeo on demand during the holidays. And then it was on Tubi in February of 2021. And that's when I really saw the spike because right. Tubi is wonderful. Oh, good. Um, Why? Go, go ahead and, and tell us more about that. It's <laughs> advertising on demand. So Tubi is one where anybody can watch it for free and they just have this gigantic library and their algorithm is very specific to like I whenever I rewatch any of my movies, I'm constantly getting hit with here's another Christmas movie you might like. Here's another wedding movie you might like. So I'm like, oh, I mean, they see what I'm that I'm rewatching it all the time. But the advertising video on demand. So it depends on kind of how how many people are watching it. And you get more views, you get better ads, which means more money. So mm-hmm. after a while, you know, you might start getting the Tide commercials, but then if you're doing really well, then now you're the Chevy Camaro commercial or whatever, mm-hmm. and that's getting you a little bit more advertising revenue for it. There's really kind of no formula. It's just one of those, the more they get views, the more it's good for their advertisers, and the more money everybody makes. Interesting. I didn't know that it... it- the advertising content actually changes depending upon mm-hmm. how, how many views you're getting. That's really mm-hmm. an interesting yeah. model. So that's yeah. the thing with, with the, when the advertisers sign up for it, they sign up for a certain kind of tier. And then whenever, depending on like a, a film with the rock is going to get better advertising mm-hmm. than, you know, one of our little movies and stuff, but yeah, the better that your film does on these kind of advertising on demand, the better the advertising is, which is the better revenue. Yeah, really cool. So, uh, yeah, so th- has that that's been your most successful mm-hmm. mo- kind of money maker? Then, yeah. um, can you comment on on how as like ninety percent of your revenue from there, more or less, roughly? Um, the majority of it comes from Tubi, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then mm-hmm. it's also the Christmas ride is on Freebie, which is 
uh, IMDb's AVOD platform. Amazon, uh, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, Amazon, Amazon yeah. owns it. Yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that started in, I want to say right before Christmas of 2021. So there was a big spike in the Christmas time and then it's been just kind of steady low, but it's mostly to be. And mm-hmm. once the Christmas ride was getting uh, more revenue in to be, then I saw hot mess starting to get a little bit more in to be. And so then when I went into home for Thanksgiving, um, I haven't really seen much back from home for Thanksgiving yet. Cause it just came out last year, but this year will be when I can kind of see the metrics of what a Thanksgiving movie does versus a Christmas movie. Right. And and that's really interesting too, to kind of uh, riff on that holiday idea and the notion that those holiday films, yeah, just a a built-in appeal, a built-in niche, a built-in market um, that Mm -hmm. you can, you know, see returns on right away. Uh, So yeah, yeah, I think that's a great strategy. I have a, I have a log line for every holiday. Like I'll go (laughs) with the holidays for a bit and, and, and that would bring in evergreen kind of, income in, in my head. And yeah. my theory of it is that, you know, a St. Patrick's day movie every March, it's going to get stuff, an Easter movie, you know, the um, new year's Valentine's day, things like that, especially using those holidays in the titles, it makes them more SEO friendly to where people would be searching for them. Like there's not many Thanksgiving movies. So when you go to Tubi and you look up Thanksgiving movie, you'll see thanks killing and a couple <laughs> other like Thanksgiving horrors. And then you'll see my lovely little poster with my cartoon family and you're like, oh, wholesome. Here we go. Let's watch that one. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually a little surprised that more filmmakers aren't kind of thinking that way, you know, and, <laughs> you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe we don't, maybe for you, we don't want them to, because you kind of have you know, you're cornering <laughs> that market a little bit. So yeah, uh, we'll see yeah, how that good. goes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. So uh, I'm curious, like what lessons, cause I know, I think you've mentioned a couple of times how you learned a lot on your first film and kind of carried that into your second film. So can you comment on that? Like what kind of lessons mm-hmm. that you brought in either, yeah. you know, from either a filmmaking standpoint or a distribution standpoint, either one's great. Yeah. The first one, I had a small crew with me, my second and my third one, it was very one woman crew, which is very difficult, but I now know that I can do that kind of stuff. So for some concepts I will, and then some concepts like hot mess, I would want a small crew with hot mess. I probably shouldn't have niched down too much. I probably should have gotten a little bit more tropey with it and maybe would have helped out a little bit, but you learn a lot with the first one. And then, yeah, definitely with the first one I learned about the subtitles, like you don't need every, you don't need all these languages. You don't need to spend like $3,000 on subtitles when really for the Christmas ride, I got English and Spanish, uh, Italian because Christmas does well with Italian, uh, French and German. And that's it. Yeah. And then for home for Thanksgiving, just English and Spanish, because I have no idea how Thanksgiving translates anywhere else other than America. Right. Yeah. That probably would, probably wouldn't very much. So that, that makes mm-hmm. sense. Uh, I'm curious also, like with these online uh, streaming platforms, mm-hmm. are they, do they, are they restricted based on territory? Like can some, once you put it on Tubi, can somebody in, you know, Chile or, uh, you know, Nigeria, can, can anybody watch it or are there restrictions on that, on that? I don't I know think, how that works at all. I think Tubi is just the U S um, okay. for other ones. I can see, the country breakdowns. I know Amazon through, and I use film hub, um, yeah. an aggregator film hub. Amazon will go through a lot of different countries. Some of those ones like Plex and Zumo, their other AVOD platforms, they'll do several countries. There's so many of them, but it just kind of mm. depends on the channel and what they offer. And film hub has a nice little breakdown. I've also used a kind of like a marketplace called Vuller, V-U-U-L-R. Mm. And I've been, I've put 
all of my features on a couple platforms. And one, actually, she pays me every month through PayPal based on performance and stuff. So it's like, oh, well, that's something that I'm seeing that there's actual money in because you never know with these kind of kind of things, like whether or not they'll bring in any kind of money. And so right. still, while it's just me investing, I'm kind of learning and gambling and it changes like every five seconds, what you're supposed to be doing now, like in the next month, it's going to be completely different. Yeah. I'm sorry. You're talking specifically about that Viewler platform or you're talking yeah. more generally. Okay. Right. Well, in general too, like distribution changes so much in general, yeah. even film hub has changed quite a bit since I started using them in 2017 but it's always stayed the same with them that it doesn't cost you anything and they just take a 20% cut. Their payments have been a little faster though now. And mm. I don't know if it's one of those that when you've been on there for so long, it's quicker, but yeah. Film hub is, is de- from what I can tell film hub is definitely an area. It just gets so much discussion online and like Facebook yeah. and stuff. And, and, and there's so it's so mixed, you know, there are some people that, that say it's great. They get money, you know, regularly mm-hmm. and like it, it all works great. And there's other people who are like, when am I going to get my money from film hub? I've been waiting for yeah. two months, that kind of thing. And it's hard to know, like you've been through it. I haven't been through it. So I'm, I, you know, I ha- I'm just reading what people are posting. I'm, I don't have the experience myself, but it's really hard to know what to take away from reading other people's experiences like that, because it's so all over the map. And I think that, you know, you can kind of say the same thing for any online distribution strategy mm-hmm. everywhere. It's it, there's people's experiences are so different, you know? Know, which is partly what this podcast is about is kind of trying to get different people's experiences you know but when you when you set out out to make the christmas ride were you like knowledgeably keeping the budget lower than it was for hot mess and a wedding dress and yeah. we're sort of fixed on maybe i can actually make the money back on this yes um, you know yeah okay yeah That's for sure the, a, a the goal choice on your part is to try to keep it as low as possible knowing that we were in the car 90% of the time. Yeah. And then for one, for like a half day, we were at Austin's house doing the two Zoom calls between father, daughter, which was a free location and stuff. But I mean, the cost was all the actors got paid the SAG new media rate. It was non-union, but I like to follow the SAG rules and then gas for the car. And then me and Darian's, you know, Starbucks in the morning lunch right. and each day was eight hours. So making sure I'm respectful of her time and, and my own time as well, but you're in a car, there's not a whole lot of angles you can do. Yeah. And I actually want to do more of those rideshare driver movies. And yeah. so I'm like, I I'm fully prepared to do as many as I could possibly do it and like learn how to do a car mount and stuff and mm-hmm. kind of take it to another level. But that was def- definitely a successful experiment that I want to do again. It was so fun. Yeah. Yeah. Totally great. And just, just to be able to just find a a particular area, a particular way of doing things that you can focus on that gives you so much from film to film that you you don't have to reinvent the wheel every time, which can, you know, maybe isn't going to cost you that much money, but it costs you time and, you know, and time Mm -hmm. is money, you know, like the more quickly you can put out movies, the more money you can make off of them. So finding things that work for you over and over and over again, like that, I think is a great strategy towards kind Mm -hmm. of a long term you know, yeah. long-term filmmaking strategy rather than just, you know, the strategy of some filmmakers was just, I'm just going to make this one film and I'm not thinking about anything else. It sounds like yeah. really thinking and about that's, the big picture. That's the thing with the micro budget filmmaking and low budget filmmaking is that it's not something that you get that people will think that, Oh, I'm going to get rich quick. And then I'm going to go yeah. to Sundance and I'm going to be this big star. It's like, no, this is a, this is a marathon. You're, mm-hmm. this is a long-term game. Like I've used the, I'm viewing my movies as my investment 
portfolio. And mm-hmm. so I'm trying to diversify that where I've got a rom-com, I've got a Christmas movie, I've got a Thanksgiving movie. My next one is going to be a psychological thriller based around an Easter egg hunt, like mm-hmm. trying to to get different genres, but also keeping true to my style, which is telling women's stories and doing kind of a character journey where we're following one character through something that they're going through, but at least playing around with the different genres and different holidays, different SEO ways, you know, making sure the titles are very marketable and stuff, but playing around with that. So that way, long-term, it would be a viable kind of passive income, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. And and also, uh, you know, and I, I don't know if this is on your radar at all, because uh, I think sometimes people at these kind of micro budget levels are just happy to just keep making micro budget films. That's what they wanted, you know, like Gnome Kroll or something like that. They just yeah. want to just kind of keep doing and operating at that level. Uh, whereas other filmmakers, I think, you know, if, if they're micro budget films, a successful, you know, spate of micro budget films led to getting hired to make a million dollar film or something like that, oh, yeah. they'd, they'd love to do that too. And I think that's a really great way to kind of build up towards that. Mm-hmm. So rather than putting all your eggs in this one basket of like this one film, I hope I'm going to get discovered yeah. at Sundance and all that stuff, just build a fan base and, you know, make, try to make better and better films. And at some point those films can break out, you know, um, yeah. and the more of them you make, the more chance you have of doing that. And then they break out and, you know, who knows, maybe you're all of a sudden finding yourself in a, in a higher level of budget and, you know, hiring name actors and all kinds of things like that, that some filmmakers yeah. want to be able to do. That's um, definitely, so. that's definitely one of my goals too. And that's uh-huh. kind of why I want to play around with the different genres too. Cause I, my goal is always to walk into a meeting and not have anybody say no to where I can walk in and say, mm-hmm all right, well, I have this, this horror idea. It's a one location. They're like, cool. That's great. And all, but we really, we're looking for the next Mars movie. I'm like, Oh, I have a log line for that as well. Do you like this? Like, Oh, um, actually no way, wait, we need, we want this cool. I've got a log. Like I literally have a pipeline like spreadsheet where I have over a hundred log lines for various wow. different sub genres, episodic, no budget, like based on the kind of budgets, because I'll come up with an idea and try to write it down, but I want to have it polished and categorized as I can and color coded. Cause that's yeah. how I live my life. <laughs> um, but to literally to, when I get to that point, it's where I get reps or where I get into those meetings to be like, okay, here's all the things that I have. How can we work together? Let's make this happen. Let's go. I'm ready. Yeah. That's, that sounds totally awesome. So I very much admire that approach. That's great. Yeah. So we've gotten a lot out of talking about your first two movies. I want to make sure we talk about your third movie as well. So let's get, you know, get to the story of that and, and take us through, you know, you've yeah. got Christmas ride. And and so how did you turn to the next film and, and what was the story of making that one? And, and also yes. put us back on the calendar. What, what about yes. what time frame are we talking about here? 2021, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, home for Thanksgiving. So we raised uh, about $6,000 in June or July of last year. It was around mm-hmm. my birthday. And then we shot it in September and October mm-hmm. and I had it ready by November. Wow. And wow. I, I was the, I was the sole crew member, uh, oh. for, uh, but also had a couple different people coming in and out. And my producer Lexi was with me and it was uh, mostly one location ensemble cast thanksgiving dinner like i cooked two full turkeys there was so much pre-production involved in this and a lot of a lot of craziness it was definitely one of those where it's like cool i know i can do it never doing anything like that again we're gonna at least have you know four base crew members to have me have with me if i do something like that again 
That sounds like a great experiment though. Mm -hmm. You know, just yeah. to, it sounds like you're really, you're, you're doing a great job of sort of like each film you're, you're taking a kind of a, a, a new approach in some ways in mm -hmm. terms of how, what, how you're going to go about doing it. And you're learning from that. What, yes. what works well, what doesn't work well, you know, do I want bigger crew, smaller crew, things mm -hmm. like that. And, and again, that's like all part of that micro budget filmmaking world, I think, to be able to just, you know, just keep learning and keep stretching and keep trying different things and, and seeing, you know, what works for you. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about what the story of, <laughs> well, well, maybe, maybe talk about this, the story. Cause I've seen the Christmas bride, so I know what it is, but listeners haven't. So mm -hmm. uh, can you give it like a quick, quick, quick synopsis of each of your three films? Yeah. Uh, so hot mess in a wedding dress. It, it uh, follows Bella as she's getting ready for her wedding. She puts on her wedding dress to kind of understand it. She's having a hard time getting her vows done. Her bridesmaids come over. She spills uh, red wine all over her brand new white dress. And she has to make a choice. Either she gets a new dress or gets it cleaned hmm. or she embraces it. And she decides that everything that she goes through until she gets married is going to be on the dress. Like her life is on the dress. <laughs> She, wow. she goes to the beach. We go, we go to this, uh, we, there's a lot of St. Pete in there. So you'll see downtown St. Pete. It's really beautiful. Yeah. We go to the beach and, and we have a blast. She's got, you know, sand and mud and stuff. She puts chocolate on there. There's a green juice she throws on there. I set it on fire at some point. Like there's burn marks. It, it got really nasty. Like towards <laughs> the end, poor, poor Evie. She put it on and she was like, huh, huh. okay, I'm ready. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I threw that thing away when it was done. Yeah, uh, the Christmas ride. <laughs> Actually, I'm kind of surprised you didn't keep it just to, I mean, put I it in a box it, or something, just a sentimental item. It was nasty. It was getting mold <laughs> on it after a while. Oh boy. Yeah. All right. Yeah. When you're getting into mold, I think you don't want to yeah. keep things around. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, you're okay. Uh, the Christmas ride follows uh, Georgia as she, um, she gets done with her Christmas morning and FaceTimes her dad. And then she turns on her, rideshare app to um, drive people around for the day because there's nothing else for her to do. Mm. And she really gets to kind of see that not everybody's holiday is merry and bright and gets to kind of have an understanding of what Christmas means to more than just her little bubble. And so it's a really interesting um, kind of take on what Christmas means to different people. Yeah. And then home for Thanksgiving follows Sally's character, Martha, I think for the name for a second. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, Sometimes <laughs> filmmakers have a lot going on in their I'm head. I'm like, so. wait, <laughs> what character are we on now? Yeah. Home for Thanksgiving follows Martha and her family as they deal with the first major holiday after her husband passes. So the patriarch of the family has passed away and everybody's kind of adjusting. There's a lot of family drama. There's, you know, the old husband comes in and causes some problems. There's secrets, there's lies, there's um, a food fight. Mm -hmm. wow. <laughs> so yeah, that one, that was fun. The food fight is really fun. And it, little, it's a little comic element there, or is the food yes. fight taken seriously? Okay. <laughs> it's, it's kind of both. So right. that was one thing that we talked about too, with the actors. I'm like, yeah, food fights are fun and everything, but you guys are all mad at each other. And so it's, <laughs> yeah. it's really, it starts out really slow and then they start going and then, um, something happens to completely stop the food fight and gets Martha she has her emotional breakdown, which she actually won Best Actress at our Tampa Bay Underground Film Festival for that performance. Cool. And the family kind of tries to come together to make things right and kind of get to understand what the holidays are going to be like from now on. Yeah, cool. Sounds like a, another great concept. So what was the budget for, for this one, mm -hmm. if you don't mind asking? 
Uh, it was 10,000. 10,000. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you're still kind of staying lower than that original yeah. 22,000. Maybe yeah. And, a little bit and we raised, 5, yeah, we raised six with crowdfunding. Yeah. So really right. I just need to get four and then we've made our budget, which um, will probably happen within this year or next year. Yeah. Yeah. sounds mm-hmm. like it. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's, uh, it sounds like you're just, you're on this great trajectory of actually finding a way to kind of successfully monetize these movies. And, and that's great to hear. It's, about, it's a weird balance. You've got to kind of find like, as as you're depending on what your concept is like horror fo- horror films yeah you need the good effects yeah. you don't necessarily need to have a name actress with it um but you definitely need good effects and you need a good story something to get people hooked yeah. but um with other certain films it's just kind of like finding what's the balance the formula balance and what's the right budget this next one's going to be a higher budget because there's a lot more locations a lot of wardrobe a lot of art involved with it because it's um, built around fairy lore so oh, we're wow. having a little having a lot of fun with the art art and costumes and stuff so that'll be um under 50 but still uh, oh, the okay. larger budget largest right. budget we so you're definitely taking it up kind of to a next level mm-hmm. with that and obviously that's a conscious decision um mm-hmm. are you I, you know, again, it's not all about the money, but are you right. optimistic that you'll be able to recoup that cost as well, uh, kind of building on the success of your early films or, you know, what, what's your thinking? Yeah. That? This Is one, that- be- yeah, this one's a, a more of a, a higher kind of standard. And so this one mm-hmm. will look to festivals, look to try to go a little bit more of the traditional route and see mm-hmm. You know, indie indie rights is really one of the only ones that I've heard of that are kind of reputable distributors mm-hmm. and just kind of getting a feel to see what would come of that. Mm-hmm. If we have to go into doing self distribution again, it's definitely a lot more marketing budget that way. Depending on what festival it gets into, you know, the festival also kind of dictates some of the marketing as well. Because if it gets into a really good festival, that of course helps with recouping some of the money and getting some of the press and stuff. But if it doesn't, then it's spending more money on, um, you know, the Facebook ads, the reviews and things like that, and trying to, trying to get things going. So it's another one of those learning type deals, but with this being in the psychological thriller type genre, it's a little more marketable. So there Mm. is, even though there's a lot of risk, the risk is kind of mitigated by the genre. Hmm. Okay, cool. So when you say, I'm sorry, you said the budget was about $50,000, I think. So it'll be, it'll be a little under 50. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So is that, are you, are you including a significant marketing budget in that? Or is that just production budget? That's just production. Just yeah. production. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So yeah. You have any idea like <laughs> what you think the marketing budget might be to add on top of that? Oh, cause it sounds like, you know, yeah, yeah. it, right. it, it kind of depends. Yeah. yeah. And the production budget also includes like film festival fees and, and things yeah. like that too. So just not not the advertising, but it really kind of depends on if it's a fit for a festival and then yeah. how how it kind of goes. It's probably it's also going to take us probably a couple of years to make it because we're going to be doing mm. it in chunks like as we get certain funds, like mm. start I'm going to be getting some funds here in a bit. So we're going to start filming some of it. And then because nice thing is that because there's like these other worlds that she goes to continuity as far as like hair and all that doesn't have to be perfect because she's in different different worlds it's just all the ordinary world stuff i have to film at the same time everything else kind of as we go oh that's great i mean again Mm -hmm. another another way to kind of adapt your logistics to story or story to logistics and kind of make it work on a, on a lower budget so that you don't have to commit everything all at once. So yeah, Yeah. that sounds great. I was going to comment that you said, you know, if you get into a great festival, then that 
you know, helps you recoup, recoup your costs a little bit better. But at the same time, my thinking there was, yeah, but at the same time, like if you get into a great festival, you probably want to go out and like hire a producer's rep or something yes. like that. Right. And so suddenly yes. you have to spend more money sometimes yes. to make more money. So it's a little bit of a catch 22 mm -hmm. there, you know, it is. Yeah. Uh, and but you I mean, just, you, it, like, you know, looking into trying to do, you know, fantastic fests and a quest, the, yep. the genre type festivals, which I've never really submitted for before. So it's, it's definitely a new yeah. area of filmmaking because genre filmmaking versus, you know, just a traditional filmmaking, very, very different. So it, mm -hmm. it's, it's still kind of like still learning that kind of aspect of it. And then also who knows what it's, what the market's going to be like whenever it comes time to yeah. sell it. Yeah. Because <laughs> things are changing <laughs> so quickly. You just never so know. Quick. Yeah. It's crazy. So it's, it's kind of, it's fascinating to me to hear that you've gone through these three really micro budget movies and that you kind of developed this technique of doing that and sort of keeping your your costs so low that there actually is like reasonable hope of recouping those costs and then you jumped up you're jumping up not to like you know half a million but jumping up to 50,000 is still a big jump and yeah. I'm curious like uh, is was that a was that a difficult personal decision to make was it something that you really just wanted to do because you wanted to make a bigger scale film like what what was behind your kind of decision to to kind of jump to that next level. Yeah. And it's mostly to wanting to, to level up. You always want to level up in skill and in, you know, concept. And this one is definitely a, a higher concept. And mm -hmm. who knows while we're filming that one, I might turn around and be like, all right, I'm gonna make a $5,000 ride share movie right back. And, then, <laughs> sure, yeah. and just do that. So something's out there too. Um, totally. But definitely like with this, when I was writing this script, I'm like, this is definitely a higher concept. It, there's a lot more that I want to do with it than, I would with, you know, some of these straight, more straightforward drama mm -hmm. type things. And so it definitely called for a bigger budget. Yeah. Was it sort of like, did you have the idea and, mm -hmm. and you wanted, you, you just were like, okay, so this idea is going to cost this amount of money and I'm just going to figure out how to do it. Or was it, I want to make a bigger budget feature and then I'm going to go write a script. That's a bigger budget feature. Like which, which came first? The ideas come first. The idea. um, yeah. there, yeah. I have some scripts that are ready to go. I have some in various stages, whether they're outlines I've done a, or I've done a vomit draft or I'm still polishing. And so it's kind of like when one of them is ready or when I feel really confident in one, and this was one that I felt really confident in pursuing, then it's like, okay, so this is how much it's going to cost. All right, let's put it into, you know, my little list of things. How are we going to do that? Let's say, let me start breaking down and let me get the schedule together. Let me, let me get, see what all I need for a wardrobe. And like, I, I go thrift shopping right now and I'm like, Oh, I need that. Oh, I need that. And like start hmm. building the props and things like that now. So that yeah. way it's a little less, I, I I'm a firm believer in fixing and pre-production. So I live in pre-production at all times. That. I've never heard that, but that's a, that sounds so great. <laughs> Fix it in pre, right? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, great. So so so, how far along are you on that? Do you have like do you have a script? It sounds like mm -hmm. is it is are you still yeah. working on the script, or do you feel like it's kind of final draft? Or no, script is ready. Um, yeah. I have my schedule already broken down. My yeah. um, I have a degree in finance. I'm a big finance math Excel nerd, yeah. and so I have a spreadsheet of this is what I need to spend. This is what I want to spend if I want to stretch it. And this is my scrappy. I need somewhere in between the scrappy and what I want. And then that'll get me to a certain spot. Cause there'll be some concepts where it's like, well, I could do just this day all by myself. And then there's some days yeah. it's like, no, I need, I need a sound person. I need a props person. I need mm -hmm. all of this for the big finale. It's going to be, you know, big, big crew and big cast. So I, we might end up crowdfunding just for the last two days, which would be the big finale. 
and use that as marketing, but we'll already have filmed certain things. Um, So that way it's not like, Hey guys, we're asking for money again. It's like, Hey, we filmed the majority of this movie. We're only, we're raising money for this big weekend so we can get the big finale done. And it also builds contacts for an email list and people who get excited about the projects or bringing people in who have gotten to know us to tell their friends and widen kind of the audience that we have. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I I think that's a great like approach is, you know, sort of to a certain extent anyway, raise money as you go, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, use the the material that you shoot from your first round of whatever to generate some, some more money to be able to go to the next and next. And, you know, especially like for your big final scene, whatever it is, your climactic scene, like being able Mm -hmm. to have like a lot of the other movie already shot and made, and you can kind of show, you know, teaser material, that kind of thing to get Mm -hmm. people, you know, really excited about it. That's a, it sounds like a great approach as well. So, Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, yeah, we're getting close to the hour mark. Is there anything else that we didn't cover that you want to cover? Uh, I want to hear about your movie. You want to hear about my movie? Yes, you always (laughs) talk to us and you you hear us talking about all that. I want to hear about your movie. Yeah, I'm I'm happy to talk about it. It's, you know, I'm... I'm a weird personality because I really like giving voice voices to other people. The the uh, the only other feature film I've made was a documentary that I shot in the aughts, and it was about a environmental, a very contentious environmental issue. And my goal with that was to kind of tell people's stories with that were impacted by that issue. And you know, a lot of these stories, you know, people are they're kind of on polar opposites of this issue and to try to kind of give them a fair voice uh, one way or the other, even if it was like opinions that I didn't necessarily agree with or, or perspective or whatever, that's just, I'm really interested in that. I'm really interested in like different people's perspectives. And I (laughs) really just kind of like to sit back and like absorb this kind of stuff. So I think I kind of take the same approach to this podcast. I kind of like to just sit back and ask the right questions and then just get people to talk about their experiences. So yeah, I'm a little reticent maybe about talking (laughs) about stuff, but I have to learn (laughs) have to learn maybe not to be so reticent. So uh, yeah, I'm happy to talk about it. I'm, like I said, I haven't made a a narrative feature. Uh, I I went to film school back in the nineties and then made this documentary in the aughts and then had a kid and had another film project that I was working on that fell through. And I worked on a science fiction novel and, you know, a whole bunch of things kind of conspired in the 2010s to make it hard for me to make a, a you know, a, another feature, mm-hmm. that's fine. I was able to save up some money and, and do a lot of reading and a lot of movie watching and things like that. And so now I'm in a position where my life is kind of arranged in a way that I can jump into making a feature film. So that's my ambition. I can't make it for personal kind of employment related reasons. I can't make it until 2025. Mm-hmm. So, so it, it's a, you know, it's a horror film. It's, you know, we, we, we talk about, I, I sit here and I talk about uh, this great idea of making mic- micro budget features and, you know, having hope of recouping your investment and stuff like that and making films at the five or $10,000 level, whatever. But this is up there in the, you know, two fifty three hundred thousand dollars mm-hmm. range. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to do it. I have, you know, yeah. some, some rich friends that I'm hoping I can get some money from and I have some money saved away and I just want to make a feature film before I die. And this is what it's going to cost me, (laughs) you know, uh, or it's going to cost, you know, hopefully other sources as well. Like I don't, I can't, I can't put that kind of money in myself, but I can put some of it in. And so, um, so yeah, that's just what I'm doing. And so in order to build towards that effort, I'm going to be making some shorts this summer that are all kind of like little, 
bits of the feature, not story wise, mm-hmm. but like technique wise and sort of like tone wise. Yeah. Um, to kind of That's practice. Smart. Yeah. To kind of practice and, and work on some, you know, different visual techniques and stuff like that. I have some pretty strong, you know, visual ideas that I want to explore. Awesome. Um, and so being able to do that in the context of a short and not invest so much money in the, in the feature right away, I think is, is a good strategy. And also, so then I'll make the shorts and hopefully, you know, be pretty aggressive about playing them on the festival circuit next year, some of the genre film festivals. That yeah. kind of thing. And hopefully drive some attention to the feature project and maybe raise some financing that way, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, no, it's a great strategy. Yeah, that's my, that's my yeah. plan. <laughs> it's um, I mean, I think the, not to be pessimistic, I don't, I don't want to come across as being pessimistic about it, but I think that like, you know, even the great plans in this indie filmmaking world run up against uh, the really harsh reality of it is just so hard for filmmakers to see significant revenue for their films yeah. in, in this market. And, you know, part of that I think is just like, you know, my contention is that filmmakers don't have, aren't entitled to make the money back on their films. I don't, I don't think like you, you take that risk and you, mm-hmm. you know, you, it's up to you to make a great film and get, you know, people to see it and that kind of thing. And not every filmmaker is going to make a great film and not every filmmaker should expect that everybody's going to love their film. It just doesn't work that way. But what I do think is that filmmakers who make films should, when revenue does come in, whatever that revenue is, filmmakers should get a good percentage of it. And that's the way the system is rigged against filmmakers right now is everybody else makes fucking money on these movies, except the filmmakers who are pouring their blood, sweat and tears and money into it right from the beginning and they're the last to pull money out if they get any at all you know and, and then you, it's absolutely ridiculous it is and then you have these predatory distributors that you know you, you sign contracts with them with they don't have an they have an unlimited marketing budget so they can just market mm-hmm. you know however much they want and pull it against your revenue and you never see a dime because they just decided to write off whatever they wanted to and it's just yeah it's just kind of evil and you know i, I was talking it about is. this yesterday with somebody else i have this kind of fantasy of like It'll never happen. It's it's silly, but have all the independent filmmakers in the world band join together and say, we're not going to make any more content until we have a distribution system set up that splits filmmakers 50, 50 uh, from dollar one that the films make, you know, just so that we can be assured that we are, you know, not necessarily again, like it's not a guarantee that anybody's going to make money on their film, but if mm-hmm. they do, they should get a significant percentage of it, you know, yeah. and if we could get all the filmmakers to do that and stop like putting their movies up on Amazon and getting two cents for viewing and you know, things like that. Like if we get everybody to do that, we might actually, you know, make some progress. And, but of course it's not going to happen because I think filmmakers are too, they want to get their films out there and, yeah. no, matter, no matter what. And, and the market takes advantage of that, unfortunately. Yeah. So, anyway, a, a lot of it too has to do with you make sure that you're telling your investors that you may never see a dime. So if you're going to put a certain amount of money into this, it should be because you want to be part of this project. You believe in it. You believe in me or whatever the reason, if you're reasoning to invest in a movie is that you want to make millions and millions of dollars, please never invest in a movie. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I, I think that's true. And it, it's, I, I remember back to my very first interview with Dan Mervish and talking about that exact thing, which, you know, he's, he's been making movies for 20 years and he has mm-hmm. regular investors, I think that in, invest pretty regularly. And I asked him, you know, point blank, have you made money back on your films? And he said, no, I made like, you know, half or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, and he seemed like really happy with that. <laughs> and I was like, well, I, I, I can't remember exactly how I phrased it, but I was, 
you know, maybe a little bit of brace about it, but I was like, well, are your investors happy about it? And and he said, well, I always tell my investors that, you know, they're not going to make their money back. And mm-hmm. they're not even, if if that's the case, they're not even investors really, but they right. are, you know, like this, it's like this weird, such a weird thing of like getting people to invest in your movie when the chances of them actually making their money back are so slim that you can hardly call them investors. They're almost like mm-hmm. donors, but yeah. In a lot of business models, we still call them investors. And it's just so weird. <laughs> so anyway, you got me to talk. <laughs> I'm <laughs> rambling on and on and on. Uh, so yeah, any anything else? Any other questions for me about my stuff? I'm happy to to talk and answer, but or yeah. anything else that you wanted to to talk about or I think we covered it all. Yeah, I think so too. So, uh, and then lastly, you know, feel free if you have any contact information you want to leave or, you know, Mm -hmm. where people can watch films, that kind of thing, you know, feel free to give us your chance to do so. Yeah. Yeah, I'm on all the socials as Stephanie directs and my first name is spelled with an F instead of a PH. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bouncy Boxer Media is also on all socials. I'm trying to get better about scheduling my posts so that there's something every day to help with the algorithm, baby. Got to feed, got to feed the algorithm, baby. You can see Hot Mess in a Wedding Dress, The Christmas Ride, and Home for Thanksgiving on Tubi for free, and that will get me the most money. So please go to Tubi. Um, <laughs> Can't and, remember uh, where I yeah. watched it. I, I'm sorry if I didn't. I, I always oh, like okay. when I watch other filmmakers' movies. I always want to give them as much money as I can. So uh, yeah. Tubi, Tubi helps. So yeah. Tubi is definitely a good place to see it. And then right. and then yeah, uh, our socials will keep everybody up to date on stuff. But yep. yeah, anybody uh, follow me, hit me up, and let's all talk movies. Sounds good. Yeah, I love it. Well, that's all for today. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, If you enjoyed this episode, please do rate and or review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever. Uh, That is the best way that you can help me grow the show and reach a wider audience of independent filmmakers and others who just want to try to understand this crazy, crazy world of independent film distribution. Uh, As always, feel free to contact me directly with any feedback, suggestions for the show, uh, people you'd like to see me interview, or even just to say hi. Um, Even though doing a podcast is definitely very rewarding, uh, especially ones like this where I've also learned a great deal myself, uh, it's also kind of hard because sometimes you feel like you're just talking into a void. Um, So I would really appreciate hearing from you if you do get the chance. Um, You can find me on Twitter or Instagram at DarkRoseColin, or you can email me at Colin at darkrosepictures.com. That's C-O-L-I-N, one L, at darkrosepictures.com. And by the way, darkrosepictures.com is my website for my feature and other projects. And yes, it is live, finally. Uh, Those of you who have been listening to the show for a while have been hearing me talk about my in-progress website with its coming soon banner for many, many weeks now, Um, but I'm proud to say that it is finally launched. Um, It's a custom-built website. I built it myself from the ground up, no WordPress or anything like that. Uh, And its purpose is not just to promote my films, but to tell the story with uh, full honesty and transparency of my own personal filmmaking journey. Uh, So if you want to follow the process of an independent filmmaker like myself from development to distribution, this is a great way to do that. Uh, It's a bit different from other websites that are out there, I hope, uh, with an emphasis on discussion and interactivity so fans can follow my work and communicate with me directly. So check it out, darkrosepictures.com.
gmail.com. Uh, anyway, that is definitely more than enough of my own self-promotion, but we all got to hustle a little bit. That's the reality of independent filmmaking. I hope you understand. Uh, I do want to thank Jesse Browder for editing this podcast. I want to thank Stephanie Davis for a fantastic interview. Uh, lots of good numbers and transparency into her process. Uh, I have more great guests lined up in the coming weeks uh, talking all things indie distribution. I am trying to get an episode out there for you every week, but I do admit it's sometimes hard with everything else I got going on but I promise you I will keep trying to get them out there as often as I can into the foreseeable future. So stay tuned, keep making movies, keep getting movies out there into the world, and thank you so much for listening.